Slash and Cast. It's a warm day in August 1975. While heading inside your local convenience store, a sign on the bulletin board catches your eye. It reads, UFOs, why are they here? Who have they come for? When will they leave? Not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena. The Heaven's Gate cult was most active between 1973 and 1983. In today's episode, we continue our discussion on the Heaven's Gate cult, covering the cult's formation, their early disciples, and the untimely death of one of the UFO2 that would drastically change the cult's trajectory. Welcome to another episode of the Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I'm your host, Dr. Mystery. I tried to create living zombies. Reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. All I gotta do is relax and they'll take me to their job. Last chance to evacuate Earth before it is recycled. This is a wicked, wicked world. We are all evil in some form or another. Hello, Mysterians, and welcome to another episode of The Cabinet of Dr. Mystery. I'm your host, Dr. Mystery. And I'm Cam. This is Cam. Did you know that? Because if not, you know now. I'm not sure. I think there's only been one picture of you um, out on our social media on our Twitter, so most people might not actually know what you look like. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, camera shy. Same. I like to be behind the camera Mm -hmm. and, and taking pictures. Um, but before we begin our discussion on Marshall, I have a question for you that has nothing to do with anything at all. Okay. So the idea of a pizza party makes me think, what do you think of when you think of a pizza party? When I say pizza party, um, elementary school, right? You think about like you get, you know, you, you win a, you know, uh, raise the most money for a bottle drive. Or the, the book it club or the book, yeah. book it thing from when yeah. we were in elementary school yeah, or where you, you get pizzas for reading books. You got the most, um, no, I think it was like recyclables. You, no, it was every, so that was mine. Oh, ours was, it was every novel that you read, you got a free personal pan pizza. Oh, what? Yeah. Damn. It was with a, a pizza hut did it. What? Yeah. That's I'm impressive. Sure it was called book it. Maybe my school was just too far out in the boonies. <laughs> it was only about 30 minutes from here, actually. I mean, I, I grew up in York. Yeah, no, so. that's, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, okay, but you, you, okay, so the idea of a pizza party. Oh, now we're both reminiscing about hey. pizza parties. The idea of a pizza party, you, you have people together, you get pizza. Yeah. But that's like a party with pizza. Yes. It's not really a pizza party. <laughs> a pizza party would be pizzas partying right that's anyway as shower thought the other day uh, but then what so what's a party pizza oh <laughs> is that a a pizza that likes to party i don't know it, a, may, it a makes pizza? me think of like a dessert pizza oh, i was gonna say a pizza whose family is on the verge of hosting an intervention <laughs> <laughs> or just a, a pizza covered in glitter Oh, Salt Bay made a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> if Salt Bay made a pizza, it would be gold foil party pizza. Yeah. <laughs> the definition of party pizza. Sprinkled, he would pop a champagne glass or uh, pop a bottle of champagne and hold it out and rub it, <laughs> run it down his, his arm and onto the pizza. 
Anyway, I watched a documentary. This has nothing to do with the episode either, but I watched a documentary about Salt Bay the other day. Oh, yeah. And I thought he was just an internet meme, but apparently he is like wildly uncontrolled. Oh? Yeah. Like he is charging people an insane amount of money for food and he is doing the dumbest shit ever. Also, it cannot be up to health code that you are sprinkling. You're getting all the sweat and all the... When yeah. did you shower? Was it two <laughs> minutes ago? Did you did you sanitize? Like, did you sanitize your arm? What did you do? How did you do this? Anyway, yeah. my my thoughts on salt. Bay. I've I have actually heard that his restaurants that he or like where like the cooking that he does is not good. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. No, no, no. I've heard that the the cooking isn't that great. I've heard that he treats the employees terribly. Right. Yeah. You know? I could see that. Yeah. It's awful. Um, also, he started a burger chain mm-hmm. and it looks ridiculous. <laughs> like the burgers are like a hundred or two hundred dollars a pop. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's wild. Anyway, um, I just was thinking about this idea of a pizza party for probably about three weeks. It's probably been it's probably been like two or three weeks since we've sat down. Yeah, I so, think so. Yeah. I've been thinking of this idea for quite some time and I didn't know who would be able to understand what I was saying. So <laughs> I, sh- I saved it for you. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a uh, food for thought. It, well, literally. <laughs> literally. Um so today I'm going to be rocking a blueberry sour uh District Bre- District Brewing Company. And I got this train. <laughs> it's a 606 Paddockwood Brewing India Pale Ale. And it's beer. Thoughts. Very hoppy. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. That's the only thing I can remember about that one. I think it was like, it's fairly light though. It's not mm-hmm. too... Yeah. Yeah. This is very smooth. Uh... Very sour. I've been getting into sour beers quite a lot lately. Um, I just only had these last two, so I figured I'd save them for us to to uh, hang out. Yeah, cheers, hey. man. We're friends. We are. <laughs> There's audio proof. You didn't need proof. My mom taught me well. What, always get proof? She said your friends aren't your friends unless you get it, uh, get it on tape. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Heaven's Gate. Okay. If you haven't checked out episode one and episode two, you should definitely check those out. Those are important key pieces for the story. Um, Episode one, we talked about the two movies. Uh, Well, I don't know if they're movies, but the two videos that the cult had made, that Marshall had made, talking to people about the the cult and about the next level and the second episode we talked about the two leaders the two founders and we talked about their upbringing and how that influenced the uh i guess upbringing of the cult so here we are when we last left off it was 1973 and we saw marshall herf applewhite we got to call him herf now and Bonnie Nettles, they both closed their bookstore and they set out to find their flock and begin forming their new church. So before, uh, Cam has a little something to add here, but before that, I just thought of something while I was reading that. They tried to form their church. 
I think I should kind of clarify, they did attempt to form their church with other churches. They tried to form their own metaphysical thing. They tried to host their own ideas at different church functions, at different already established churches, and they told them they didn't want that kind of thing at their facilities. So now they're setting off to start their own thing that's completely independent from uh, other religious organizations. Gives them freedom, Yeah, as we'll see. Well, and also the fact that you're putting it as starting their own church at this point, they're still very involved in religion. Yeah. Well, they are starting their own church, their own, like getting their own disciples, but they are still at this point, if I'm not mistaken, reaching out to churches, Mm -hmm. to Christian organizations. um, And I don't think Catholic organizations, but possibly. No, I think think they're mainly Christian. Baptist and... and, uh, uh, Presbyterian. I think mainly, yeah. Um, but they're still reaching out and, and looking for support uh, through those avenues as well. Yeah. So after they closed their bookstore, they attempted to publish a manuscript, which they titled, I can't believe that, but you must. And it went nowhere. It was a failure. It didn't get off the ground at all. First attempt, first yeah. failure. Yep. Well, actually, it's probably not their first failure, but... First attempt and failure that we know of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's on record. So we'll see as we go through this episode that, uh, you know, they try quite a few times to get their own book written, Mm -hmm. to get their own own works published. Um, So I think it's important at this point to kind of focus on the cult while Bonnie was alive. Um, So... Now they've closed their bookstore. They're setting out and they're trying to get their own flock. They've been on the road for 29 weeks. While they were in a campground at Rogue River, they received a message. So it's kind of like they're burning bush. And in the visions, they were the two lampstands that were mentioned in Revelation. And um, was that part of what you read in episode one? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, that was... Part I, of that that verse that they, uh, Bonnie wrote to Terry about the verse in Revelations that yeah mentions the the two lampstands and the the witnesses yeah yeah so you know they have this this vision they are going to be like massacred they're going to you know stand for something and try to change the world and they're going to be shot down for it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So the two begin uh, spreading their message through the U.S. They travel between California, Utah, Montana and Idaho. And they even came up here to Canada and then went back down to New York. Um, At one point during their journey through North America, their car breaks down and uh, they decide to pick up a rental car in St. Louis. Um, But at this point, they were running low on funds and they had a credit card that was nearly almost all used up but they decided to use that to rent this car and off they drive and this car will play a significant role in the story of the cult Mm -hmm. a little later on so at this point they're running out of funds they're the credit card that they've been using is it's running out yeah so to fund their journey They worked odd jobs 
they did what my mother suggested and uh, they donated blood. Marshall was quoted as saying, Bonnie and I are discovering more and more that the religious and loving are the last to see or accept our truth. And during their first year of mission work, they scarcely, if ever, mentioned UFOs. And I think that's an important thing to note as well. Yeah. Yeah. The the UFOs have not even, not really come into play yet. Well, not at all. They haven't even, hasn't even been a thought. Yeah. Um, so also during this time, while they're traveling around, they are writing letters to Sharon Morgan, someone that they had met while they had their bookstore, um, through, what is it? Someone they had met during their time running the bookstore there's while a, they were... There's a specific name of the group that he's thinking of. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they were running uh, classes on mind, soul, spirit awareness. Yeah. And Sharon Morgan, this, that's who we're... I'm, I'm planning on discussing about, uh, you know, a little bit about her next. Uh, she's a very pivotal figure, at least in the the very beginning. You know, we're talking about this credit card and this rental car. You know, they wouldn't have been able to do this without Sharon mm-hmm. around, right? Yeah. So Sharon Morgan, uh, it was about May 1974, after two years on the road, the two, they chose Sharon as their first true disciple. And Sharon had two children, and she was troubled about her marriage. So shortly after that meeting that she had where they said, hey, you know, we want you to be a part of the team, um, she went and packed her bags. She took off her wedding ring and bought enough or brought enough money with her to last her a few days so that she could find the group. And she set off to find the peace and guidance that the two had promised in those what is it mind spirit soul awareness mind soul spirit awareness mind soul spirit awareness just little sessions you know just you know little sessions nothing to worry about when herf and bonnie when they used her credit cards she didn't care um she gave them permission but it was like two people on the card and the other person hadn't given them permission it was her husband who was upset about it. And uh, the problem is that the she was fine. She was fine with them using her credit card. She was fine with all that. What she wasn't okay with was them skipping out on their bills. And that was the real thing. That was the bottom line for her was you cannot skimp on your bills. That's where she drew the line. But uh, they would come back to her with the Bible quote, which they were misquoting, the Lord will come as a thief in the night, but the actual Bible verse is, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So they're just, they just decided to take their Bible verse, rewrite or twist it. Just all they really did was omit two words out of it it to make it fit their narrative. Yeah. Which, you know, as two people that are the product of a religious environment we've seen before. Mm-hmm. We've seen the twisting and the tweaking. <laughs> <laughs> Twist it, bop it, pull it. So lie to them. <laughs> <laughs> now about uh, about Sharon during the time that she was with them. What what was her role with them? Do you know? 
I don't know if they really had any sort of established. She did. She, oh, she yeah? did oh, have. Okay, okay. Yeah, she had a role to play with in, in in their group. She was the one who they would get to set up meetings or send or send her out to churches to try and see if they would allow them to speak at the church or yeah. But she was basically just their hype man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as we go through this, you'll see, you know, that that's what they do a lot is they'd send people out to do the work for them. Yep. Yeah. While they just sit uh, at home and not masturbate. If she's their disciple, what does the disciple do? Spread the word. Can I, can I just say something here? I think my, dare I say that none of this shit would have happened if these people would have just smoked more weed (laughs) and jerked off on a regular basis. Back to Heaven's Gate. While traveling, Sharon arranged to meet her friend in Dallas, and her friend had actually called Sharon's husband and was like, hey, listen, Sharon's coming to town. Um, you might want to come and get her. She's kind of with these these people that you might want to come and get her. So he came and got his wife and brought her back home to be with him and her family. I, I think... Two kids, right? I think I said two kids. Yeah. Um, so now, not only did T and Doe, I think they were, were they going by T and Doe at this point? No, no. no. Okay, no, so they were Perf and Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they weren't even like Bo and Peep. No, none of that Maybe, nonsense. May, no, I don't think they were even Guinea and Pig until after, after the next major event. So Herf and Bonnie still, um, they lost their disciple. They were arrested a few days later. Mrs. Morgan's husband had charged them with credit card fraud, and she convinced her husband to drop the charges. Um, But the Texas police found that Herf had a warrant out for his arrest in St. Louis for auto theft. And that's what we were talking about before. Auto theft? But that's where he rented a car. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. But if you listen to Herf... He tells a completely different story in the 88 Update, um, which is a paper that they released in 1988. I'm going to quote directly from the 88 Update. Sometime later, while in Brownsville, Texas, they made an appointment with a news reporter to share what they had come to know, telling him that this would be the biggest story he had ever received. He believed them but he thought their story was about drug trafficking and brought hordes of the authorities with him to the interview. This frightened the two, who were pretty paranoid by now anyhow, and when they saw the authorities, they left abruptly, which made the authorities follow them. In the process of following them, though the police didn't know why the two were running, they checked out the license plate of the rented car, which had been reported stolen. I just love how it it sounds like something you would see in in a, a road trip comedy yeah it's like uh like tom green (laughs) like they rented a car and they all thought that they returned it but tom green just shows up and then they all get arrested for theft (laughs) auto theft and he's like well i didn't know you had to give it back (laughs) yeah yeah but in this case it's well god told me that i could take what i wanted to fulfill the mission Mm -hmm. yeah actually when they uh when he was in court over the arrest for the stolen car, 
he used that as his defense and the the judge and the prosecutor both still remember that case to this day because of his claim or his defense god said it was fine i'm a part of god's seal team six and i'm here to take what is owed to the heavenly father herf spent six months in jail for the auto theft i would like to spend no months in jail please while he was in prison this is when we actually see the beginning of the ufo stuff Mm -hmm. actually starting to uh reveal itself this is when he starts to bring ufo stuff into this and he comes up with this concept of ufos and the ufos being used to ascend to the evolutionary level above human and the idea of humans entering a chrysalis stage and their body changing so that they can become uh enough or good enough and they can enter into the next level and the spaceship will come and pick them up yeah boop boop that's a spaceship (laughs) boop boop is that the sound (laughs) a spaceship makes (laughs) it's a friendly spaceship so yeah during these six months uh, while he's in prison he writes what's uh known as statement one and uh if you're interested in reading it it is on their website in the 88 update once again it's a lot of very good information from their point of view about the beginnings of the cult um so yeah if you ever want to take a look at it i considered reading it and then after i started reading it a bit i realized how long and boring it is (laughs) (laughs) so instead i will leave that to your discretion if you would like to read it it is on their website fairly easy to find it does talk about like evolving from the human form at like a in a chrysalis, all like of a butterfly. This, all of this stuff that we reference and everything, it's valuable, but it's all the same rhetoric. Yeah, it's all repetitive and just after a while, it's just like children of God. You're just getting hammered with mm-hmm. the same shit. Next level, next level, next level. Yeah, yep. My father, my father, my father. My heavenly father. I am just a seed from my heavenly daddy. <laughs> Bruh, chill. What are you doing, Herf? He's got some Bruh? serious daddy issues. Oh my God. <laughs> Does he ever? So, shortly after Herf's release from prison, the two leaders had to adjust their beliefs because he's got this UFO stuff coming in. And they changed their teachings and they um, they were invited to actually speak at this New Age spiritualist meeting in California. And this is where they found their first flock of 20 people. And this group was sent out, like I said, they do this a lot. They were sent out as missionaries to recruit further members. They also do this a lot. The idea of acting on charity, mm-hmm. of of uh, maybe surviving on charity is more appropriate. Um, you're sent out there without food, without money, and you're told to rely on the kindness of strangers, right? And so two months later, they reconvened and they began holding more public events, more of these meetings, not conferences. Uh, <laughs> and... 
they're they're trying to share their mission with the public, trying to share this story of the next level and all this stuff. And in September of 1975, that's when one of their most successful public meetings, uh, it saw an additional 20 dependents. Uh, that's I, I would call them dependents, right? Like they're, yeah. you know, I mean, I guess they're almost kind of self-reliant too because they're relying on this idea of uh, uh, charity, but they're dependent on these two people for literally telling them exactly what they need to do, right? Yeah. So these disciples, they, dependents, they abandon everything. They get rid of all their possessions. They abandon their family. They they cut ties with everybody. Um, so, you know, you have all these people that just like vanish, right? You got a, first, you got a, you know, a set of 20 and then... A little while later, you have another set of 20 and you have like a, probably a couple of scragglers in between. Mm-hmm. So all these missing persons cases were opened and police began to search for the UFO cult. And that's when it first became a UFO cult. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get these these meetings happening and people are going missing at them. And there's one common denominator in all of these meetings these two people keep showing up and then everyone keeps disappearing yeah so what what are they doing yeah Yeah. exactly and they're also like if you think about you know a group staying in one specific spot that's easy to monitor easy to you know kind of figure out what they're up to if you're moving around constantly it's difficult for the government to keep tabs on you yeah right i think that could also be part of it yeah so they open all these missing person cases and the group developed a huge presence in the media and they they had this desire to have the media fulfill a specific narrative that they wanted not not how the media wanted to por- portray them excuse me um but how they wanted to be portrayed yeah and the media wasn't really fulfilling that. They weren't able to bend the media to fit their narrative. They, right. They couldn't be in control of what the media was saying about them. Which is exactly what they need for these people to follow them is mm-hmm. to be in control. Yeah. So they, uh, this press coverage is what made them go into hiding. Mm-hmm. Right. This is what made them pull back was all this coverage this negative attention this attention that they didn't want and they immediately started pulling back and withdrawing and uh you know wanting to have control of their public image with the failed uh, document that we had discussed earlier they authorized a book to be published and i i as i was telling you before i couldn't get my hands on it because it's pretty rare I, I think you can find it on eBay, but it's not cheap. Um, and there's only a few that are being sold. But the book is called UFO Missionaries Extraordinary. And it's by Brad Steiger and Hayden C. Hughes. And uh, to be blunt, <laughs> Bonnie and Herf hated this book. Um, they mm. said it didn't proclaim their divinity. Oh, it did didn't uh didn't make them look good hey right and i think that's kind of the reoccurring thing that we see here is they don't like things that are honest about them they don't like things that don't fit 
what they want. Almost like they're maybe a little narcissistic. According to one of the authors of this book that they absolutely hated, Brad Steiger said that uh, they did voice stress tests on the two, and he stated that um, he was absolutely positive that the two believed every single word that they were saying. Uh, he also said that Bonnie and Herf, that they they wanted the, the release of this book. We were talking about this before. They wanted the release of this book to coincide with their prophecy of, like their prophecy of the two lampstands. What they refer to as the demonstration. So they wanted their their assassination. They wanted their their martyr assassination situation to happen when the book was released. And fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure, it it didn't happen either way. Um, Probably fortunately, because had it happened, then they would have become martyrs and the the cult would have exploded. Yeah, that's that you you could say it that way too, because at this point they had at least forty probably plus members, right? Yeah, and without leadership, they the cult could have just spiraled out of control. Not only that, but like like I I said before in the first episode, I think it was um how Heaven's Gate was one of the only suicide cults that didn't try like didn't go outside of their own yeah circle right yeah what if someone else had taken over after they had they died and then someone else took over and used all these people waco exactly something something exactly like that right so um yeah that's a good point i I didn't really think about that so i guess that answers fortunately i think so yeah Yeah. i mean it (laughs) it's still everything about this is unfortunate but it could always be worse. I think there's different points throughout this where we could pinpoint and say it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's many, many points where we could say the exact opposite. It could have been much better. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing could have been better. Yeah. If, yeah. you know, just we'll get to the balls in a second here. If their assassination didn't happen, if it if it didn't go through, they were just casually mentioning that they were going to starve themselves to death. And, uh, you know, with this statement of themselves, you know, killing themselves if this didn't work or, or hoping that, uh, you know, they were, would be martyrs for their cause, I wholeheartedly believe that the group intended on suicide one way or another. At one point in this story, there would have been a, a, a mass suicide. I don't think we would have been a, a, avoiding this. If this book would have fulfilled their wishes they would have killed themselves and at this point i think that they had probably they had at least over 40 but they might have even had up to like 100 at this point yeah so you would you know like we're we're talking about you know fortunately or unfortunately you know at this point if that book would have fulfilled their wishes they probably would have taken more people with them so you want to be a part of heaven's gate there's some steps you got to follow I like how you're reading it to me. Yeah. I just look down for a second and then you're staring at me. <laughs> I'm going to initiate you. <laughs> I've already been baptized. I don't know. Step number one. Can you follow instructions without adding your own interpretation? No. <laughs> Step number two. Can you deliver instructions as you receive them or do they change according to your computer? 
Your computer? What's That's, my computer? My um, brain? I, I think they're referring to your brain oh, as a okay. computer. Uh, step number three. Do you participate in inconsiderate conversation, polluting the ears of others while you and your partner work things out? Depends what you consider inconsiderate. Also, who's my partner? Is that my buddy? Uh, yeah, your check partner, oh, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Are you physically clumsy, breaking things because you handled them too harshly or carelessly? I have dad reflexes. Do you halfway complete a task because of your poor standard of what is thorough? What? I would say I definitely failed this one, but it's not because of my poor standard of what is thorough. It's because of ADHD. Mm. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure what the question was, but yes, I do get distracted. I will start a project and then it's like halfway through and then I end up doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. My all, entire all, life. All the time. That's that's literally what my apartment is. It's just a studio space of my experiments. Here's another one that completely fucks me. Do you put tasks off? Procrastinate? I mean, yeah. I don't know very many people who don't procrastinate. <laughs> In the the age of TikTok and youtube and everything it's at your fingertips yeah i'm what you would call a professional procrastinator do you use more of something than is adequate for example excessively high cooking flame more toothpaste than necessary etc i think i use more toilet paper than necessary because if it were up to me i would bidet every time if i had a bidet i would probably use it every single time here we go. Do you go from one extreme to another? As from overeating to undereating? Ah, I'm pretty consistently fat. <laughs> Are you sensitive when approaching another individual about something you want to discuss? Do you permit that individual the choice to continue what he is doing, or do you force him to drop it in order to give, your, give attention to you? Do you stop and check? Or do you assume that what is on your mind is more important than what is on theirs? Know the difference between your relationship with your teachers and your fellow classmates in this regard. That's a long fucking rule. Yeah. Are there bullet points for this? I don't know the answer because I don't understand that hour and a half long question. Yeah. Um, I am sensitive. Yes. To answer your question. It's about... Whether do you feel that you're more important than somebody else when you have something that needs to be done? What's the short version of that? Rapid fire. Do you needlessly ask a question when the answer is obvious or a moment of silent observation would quickly reveal the answer? Yes, I'm dumb. Are you pushy, aggressive, interfering, or demanding in any way? No. Has familiarity caused you to become so relaxed with your partners or others that your actions or words don't hold enough restraint? Uh, sometimes I tell people I love them when I don't really mean it because I want to impress them and I want them to stay in my life because I have abandonment issues. Okay. <laughs> Are you gentle, simple, cautious, and thoughtfully restrained in all your steps, all other physical actions or words? Most of the time until the abandonment issues come into play. Have you outgrown defensiveness and its flip side, martyrdom? Can you understand and review in your mind all the ways in which members of the next level are sensitive? If you can, have you no excuse? Oh, you have no excuse for not working or improving in these areas at all times. It's not really a question. It's a no, statement. It's just, if you don't know everything already, fuck you. 
<laughs> when your teachers have asked someone to do a task and it relates to you, do you treat that task and its delivery deliverers with as much respect as you would if it came directly from your teachers? Yeah, sure. I graduated, so I don't care what my teachers yeah, say. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Although, yes, I understand that they're referring to Bo Peep. Yes, Tito. as your teachers. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. That's the 17 steps. Are you ready to join Heaven's Gate? That was quite the journey. Okay, so we got some quotes now. So this is a quote from T. Now, the part that hurts for you is the fact that all the ones you considered your family really is not your family. Doe. Your family, don't forget, are those who are here doing the same thing as you and those other members of the next level. They are your family. In the summer of 76, with about 100 members left in the group, the two noticed that members were still engaging in sexual activity, still engaging in recreational drug use. And, of course, all of this stuff was banned if you wanted to be a member of the group, if you wanted to be a part of it. And so the two leaders forced a mass exodus of all of the disciples that were still engaging in this type of behavior. And from my research, uh, this is what T marked as the end of the first harvest. So they cut ties with about, you know, not sure how many people, but there's about 70 remaining at this point. You know, they're, they're pulling back from the spotlights and they're changing their teachings and they're developing them to fit with this UFO narrative and they're creating different classes. So the same idea as what roped Sharon Morgan in is happening now again, but on a grander scale with more people. So they experimented with one person and now here they are experimenting with a large group of people. And so this is when we see the development of the classes. And that's why when we refer to some of these disciples or these dependents as classmates, it's because they were classmates. They looked at each other as a classmate, as somebody who was learning, who was there to learn, who was being taught, right? Yeah. Yeah, they often referred to themselves, the group, instead of as Heaven's Gate or whatever. They referred to themselves as the class or the classroom. Simply as the class. yeah. Yeah. Another thing to make note of here is that T and Doe, they demanded perfection. Demanded perfection. And T was quoted as saying, The point that I want to stress mostly is that you're in a classroom 24 hours a day. Everything that happens to you is to see how you can respond as a member of the next level, not as a human. In other words, you are striving to be perfect. So literally demanding perfection from people. And Doe was quoted as saying, Every tiny thing that you do alone or with someone else is a task. So everything that you do, utter perfection throughout it. Well, I mean, prime example, go back and listen to those 17 steps. That's just their behavioral guideline. Yeah. That's that's just scraping the surface of what they're expecting from you. So, you know, you have to be perfect. And you even have a partner that monitors how long you shower, monitors how long you work for, monitors, you know, how long you use different things, how, how much water you use. And 
they, they it's literally everything in your life yeah they're your their check partner to keep you in check right and they report if everything isn't up to code they 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 tattle on you you have a snitch following you around 24 7 making sure that you only use an inch of bath water making sure that you only use a quarter inch for your pasta actually one thing i i might bring up is that they weren't cooking their own food per se they had someone whose task was cooking food for right. everyone yeah so they wouldn't yeah it wouldn't be checking different people had different yeah. tasks but it's the idea that every single thing that you do has a specific measurement yeah. has a, a qualitative factor that can be measured for how much you should be using it or how much you should be doing it or that sort of thing so uh, at this point, the group is still living outdoors. They're camping in tents, but Bonnie and Herf, they're living in a, a trailer. So they always have a little step up, not by much, but just enough, right? The summers, they would go to the Rocky Mountains, and then in the winters, they would go down to Texas. They're, yeah, they're just living this nomadic lifestyle still, still being outdoors and everything like that. Um and, you know, I always thought that it was kind of funny that the cult talks about this, you know, um, you know, this lifestyle of removing all of your possessions, of abandoning everything, of abandoning your family, of abandoning your your home and your your possessions, your wealth. But they still use the money from trust fund babies to fund the group. They're still using they still used. Sharon and her credit card when they first started and now they're just graduating to using people that they you know this person has a trust fund of a million dollars we're going to use that for this organization but everybody else abandon all your shit because it's useless right mm -hmm. it, it it's another example of them changing things when it's convenient for them yeah 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 get rid of everything except for what benefits us right it's typical cult behavior but it's especially uh, typical for the Heaven's Gate cult. If, 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 you know, this whole thing shows us anything, it's that they will twist the narrative to fit whatever they want. They, they took biblical scripture and twisted it to fit their narrative when they were uh, committing crimes and, and skipping out on bills and stealing vehicles. They twisted it to form this whole thing about UFOs and the thing about the, the two lamplights. You know, of course they're going to continue to twist it. I just thought of something. So you know how earlier in this episode you mentioned that you thought that they had, like, their goal was of it to end in suicide, basically, yeah. from a from an early stage. Do you think that has, that's got to be part of the reason why they didn't allow children into the cult? I mean, yes. I think... I think children complicated things. I think that it was a better plan for everybody, like all the leaders, the two leaders. I think it was simplicity. And um, the idea, you know, like we, we keep talking about how the cult doesn't want to be in the spotlight unless they can control the narrative and mm -hmm. having a bunch of children would put you in the spotlight. True. Right. True. Also with a like narcissistic personality in charge if you have children around those children need attention yeah. more than anyone else and it's this idea where if you abandon literally everything in your life including your children 
you are solely and completely entirely focused and reliant on the fir- the, the two leaders yeah. on the first two people that you see in the morning and the first two people that you say you know that you see it at the end of the day yeah yeah and i think that's that's mainly what they wanted was they want everybody to be entirely focused on the two they want everyone to be entirely focused on you know this idea of the evolutionary level above human yeah if you abandon your possessions and your family and you focus completely on them then you'll ascend you'll you'll be able to have your body transform and ascend because you will be worthy and that's it, exactly what it is i think you hit the nail on the head there yeah it just that that literally didn't even occur to me until just now talking about this and I figured I got to bring it up before I forget about it because I will forget about it. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, so we're we're talking about this idea of, you know, focusing completely on the two, mm-hmm. focusing completely on your task. 1977, that's the point that we are in this story. And they essentially become monks. Yeah. This is when we see that complete and utter devotion. You know, they take it a step further. They adopt new names they start living a secluded lifestyle and they focus all of their energy and all of their efforts in order to achieve entrance into the next level above human in order to uh, enter into this kingdom that Marshall talks about, which the kingdom is on a spaceship. That's the point that we're at here. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing this is also probably the time they start get, adopting the same haircut. Yes. The same. Well, it's this, this, it goes beyond just the haircut. It's this androgynous look. Right, yeah. This whole, like, androgynous idea that, you know, they're eradicating sexual activity. They're eradicating drug use. They're making everyone androgynous so that they're not attractive to each other. It's also very reminiscent of, um, like, uh, Hutterites or or the Amish where everyone... But there's that idea where everyone's supposed to dress the same. Yeah. Everyone is, like, all the women are supposed to dress the same. All the men are supposed to dress the same. From what I understand, it's so that no one is more important than anyone else. They're all the same. And it's also the idea of, like, you know, the women will wear a head covering. They'll wear, you know, a pair of pants underneath their skirt or their dresses. It's this idea of the the sacred... Uh, how do I say this? The the idea of uh, femininity and and a, and a woman being sacred and being meant for one specific person and that's it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same kind of you know you can definitely make that connection. It's the same kind of concept where it's like tampering down people's sexuality, tampering down the idea of sex at all. This is taking it a step further yeah. though and completely eradicating it. But you're also removing everyone's. Um uniqueness no exactly yeah and that's typical for cults as well as is you know you're you're secluding somebody but in a different way they continue their nomadic lifestyle until 78 or 79 like we say everything's kind of you know blurry (laughs) more or less it's a three-year period of them literally living outside in tents for they didn't live inside at all for for three years at least. Yeah, and and the whole idea was they they weren't living inside at all, so that they could 
if they they wanted to spread their message or they had a new place to go, they could just pick up and move, right? With less than 40 members remaining around this time period, they began living indoors. They they were like, you know what? Let's 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 take it inside. It's been long enough, right? So there is actually an event that led them to live indoors. Oh, okay. I didn't I've ne- I've haven't heard about this. I don't think so, I have. I think I told you about it. I, th- I talked about it the last time we tried to record this. How high was I? Uh, it's possible you were quite. So in May of 1978, when they're moving from uh, from Texas from the winter up to the Rocky Mountains for the summer, uh, in the, in May they get hit with a freak snowstorm that buries them and their tents in about two feet of snow. They continued funding their operations by using members' trust funds, like I was talking about earlier, but that ended up running out. That's not going to last you forever. And they then began taking odd jobs, right? So they've done this in the past, pick up a couple shifts here and there, pick you know, work wherever they can find work. Yeah. And they were kind of afraid that they would start generating media attention again by having different members go out and get jobs. So they started faking their identities. Yeah. Faking their identities and kind of making sure that every member worked in an environment that wasn't related to what they worked in pre-cult. So uh, I used to work in print. I wouldn't be allowed to work in print. I would have to work in marketing, which actually also wouldn't be good because I used to work in marketing. But, you know, like the opposite of what you worked in. Well, I think... From what I understand, a lot of them were doing like waiter, waitress jobs or working at a grocery store. Just picking up odd shifts. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, full-time job at a, you know, minimum wage job or something like that. Something very low profile. I think the the full-time work came into fruition like a little bit later on. Like I think at this, at, at this point... When the leaders eventually determined that the media wasn't worried about them, I think that's when they started getting the full-time jobs. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm getting my, my timeline a little mixed up here. I think it was like they they just picked up odd jobs at like a, you know, like a circus or at a kitchen or a bar or something mm-hmm. like that. Probably not a bar, but, you know, like a restaurant or something. And... Then it evolved into let's pick up full-time work and then look, nobody's paying attention to us. I am a really good computer programmer. Let me just tell them who I am and I can go get a job. So I think like, you know, at a, at a certain point they said, you know, these people have been indoctrinated enough. We can let them go. They're not going to be, they're not going to be, um, you know, swayed very easily. We can let these certain group of people out into the world and we have enough of a hold on them that they're not going to disappear on us. They're not going to leave. And so once they re you know, once they reach that point where people were determined as being acceptable to be out on their own without the risk of them leaving, then they let them go. Then they said, go and get your, your job that relates in your field, use your own name, use your references and that sort of thing. Yeah. So one thing that uh, we have talked about a lot. I'm not entirely sure if anything has actually been recorded or not yet. Um, but 
Bonnie's daughter, she talks about how Bonnie didn't listen to any of the teachings that she had taught the other classmates that, um, I don't, I don't know what to call them at this point, Herf and Bonnie, that they were teaching the other classmates. So essentially Bonnie was going against everything that she was teaching, right? She was still had regular contact with her daughter, still sending letters out to her daughter. Um, and she kept a close relationship, sending letters to her on a regular basis, usually every month. And um, occasionally they would speak by phone. And, uh, you know, it, that's that that was a big thing for her daughter was that she just stopped getting messages. She just stopped getting letters from her mom. She stopped getting phone calls. Nobody was reaching out to her and her mom just kind of dropped off the face of the earth and for good reason. <laughs> um, Bonnie was fighting cancer. Yeah. And uh, it resulted in her losing her eye in 1983 and she ultimately succumbed to her injuries and died uh, in June of 1985. During my research, I read a few different sources and one of the interviews I read was with, oh, I forget what his first name is, but King. Uh, it was an interview with him and he was saying how the letters that were sent to Terry were meant to keep her at an arm's reach so that she wouldn't bring in outside forces to get her mom back. I could see that. Like it like it kind of keeps her at bay. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps her keeps her satiated. Yeah, exactly. But this is also coming from the mouth of someone who was, you know, a former member. Yeah. They're still keeping the Heaven's Gate website running, so they're obviously still following the task, quote unquote task, that was set out for them, right? Still invested in it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they they definitely, like you said, have a bias. Um, but I thought it was it was in, an, an interesting point that they made or an interesting way that they worded it. So I think that's where we're going to leave it off for this episode. We've got quite the story to tell in the next few episodes. And we're actually going to talk about some other UFO cults in the final episode of this series. We're going to talk about one that's actually still in existence. If I'm not mistaken, I'm yeah, pretty sure. They, uh, I think they're still around right now. I think a couple of them are. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to talk about some popular UFO cults and maybe one that you haven't heard of before you know thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the cabinet of dr mystery and i hope that you guys uh had a wonderful time with us this episode is produced by death hotel creative hosted by myself dr mystery and cam that's me to view more and to grab our exclusive cabinet of mystery merch you can visit us at notwhatwesay.com check out our instagram handle at cabinet of mystery or our Twitter at Open the Cabinet. Please leave us a review if you enjoyed the show and let us know what topics you'd like to hear in the future. You can hit us up on the socials or at cabinetofmystery at gmail.com. If you'd like to appear in an upcoming episode, you can actually leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash cabinetofmystery. And for sources on this episode, 
please see the episode description. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or follow for more episodes.